Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview successful entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. I'm your host, Eric Sue, and today we have Jason Lemkin, who's the co-founder of EchoSign. Jason, how are you doing today? Doing great. Yeah, thanks for the time, Eric. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So, yeah, Jason, why don't you give the audience um, a little bit, um, um, you know, a little bit about your background, and then uh, we'll go from there. Uh, sure. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a repeat founder CEO. Uh, my last company is a company called EchoSign, which was bought by Adobe on July 15, 2011, at 3:01 p.m. Uh, I do remember it well. Um, and uh, then I was the vice president of web business services at Adobe. Um, and from inception of EchoSign in January 1st, 06, uh, through that, uh, grew, grew that business from zero to what is now $144 million in recurring revenue at the end of last year. Um, so I've sort of, uh, what, what's interesting about me is at least in this, in this SaaS world, in this B2B world, I've done the zero to $100 million journey. I've made a ton of mistakes. Um, and I kind of decided back when I was a corporate vice president at Adobe that to the extent I was allowed to, I would just start sharing some of these learnings. Um, and so, as you know, we've kind of built a, a bit of community around this now called Saster that we've got about half a million folks that read this stuff uh, every month. Um, and it's all about um, going from 10 customers, right, and whatever that revenue may be, $1,000, $1,000 a month to sort of 10 million, that kind of journey from, you know, the first having something where 10 people will actually buy your product mm -hmm. to what I call initial scale or 10 million when you can no longer be killed, right? And so the goal is to share all the hard learnings, what worked, what didn't, um, how not to hire the terrible VP of sales, what marketing really does, how to think about customer success so that ultimately uh, you can do even better than me. That's my goal. Got it. Perfect. And I think everyone that's watching this needs to read um, Jason's blog and also his answers on Quora. There, um, there's nothing out there like it right now. It's, it's pretty much it's, it's world-class stuff. So um, ev literally everything. Um, so Jason, um, how did you guys get the first 100 users for EchoSign? Yeah, and you know, times were different, right? So the way we got our first hundred, and in fact it worked well for us up to a point, was really just just press, right? Today we call it content marketing. <laughs> things are a little bit more sophisticated, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and so there's some things are different and some things are changed. Literally, we launched on TechCrunch um, back when like there were like two TechCrunch posts a day mm -hmm. um, in 06. Now, no one read TechCrunch back then. It was this little tiny blog. Um, but, um, but it was enough to get us going, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, my Uber learnings from all that, and I'm a huge fan of PR, content marketing, whatever you call it today, mm -hmm. is for most, for a B2B service, it's not enough, okay? You can't have this magical, you know, uh, WhatsApp explosion just off some press, okay? But it, it can help, right? Mm -hmm. It can really help. It can get you some of those first 10 customers, those first 20 that's not enough to build a $100 million business, mm -hmm. uh, but if you do it right, it may be enough so that you can really learn and get mm -hmm. those few in the pipeline, right? Got it. Um, How did you get to the next level? So, I mean, the initial PR bump hit, right? But what yep. was what got you to kind of the, the, the first 1,000 or the first 10,000? Yeah, I think, so in some ways I did everything wrong um, because I, I hadn't done it before. Um, we launched without clear pricing, which I learned was a disaster for a paid service. Um, we launched with the wrong messaging and the wrong marketing position and the wrong everything. Um, but we sort of just did one thing right in the beginning, right? We really just did two things and it wasn't enough, but it, it was enough, but we could have done better. We did two things. One, um, whatever customer we had, we lavished them with just incredible attention, right? And I know this seems obvious maybe to most people today, right? But you get 10 customers, right? And for us, they pay $10 a month. I mean, that, we called that beer money. <laughs> All we did with our first 100 or 200 customers is drink beer because it couldn't even pay one engineer's salary, right? Mm -hmm. So that was, I didn't think it was very funny, but everyone else thought that was funny. Um, <laughs> but what I, what I knew, here's the one thing I knew from the first 12 months, and they were really rough the first year. Here's, here's the thing. Um, I knew for every one customer had, we could get another, okay? For every Qualcomm, we could get a GE, okay? For every BT, we could get a Dell, for every wedding photographer that used EchoSign, even though we had one to start, I knew we could get two, right? Um, and so ultimately my goal um, was to just double down on whatever was working, right? And I only knew how to do two things. One, keep the customers we had happy, right? And two, kind of try and keep up the content marketing PR stuff so that the viral engine, or at least the word of mouth engine, could run, right? And the Uber learning was that all worked, okay? But the problem is if you want to get 
word of mouth and virality working in B2B versus B2C, it just takes longer. So it literally took 18 months for that engine to work. Because you think about it, I sign up for the product for something like Epicon. I try it for 30 days, right? Then maybe I convert to pay. But maybe it takes me three or four or six months to fall in love. And then to interact with enough people through a contract or whatever it is, so that they'll create a second-generation customer. And it took us eight months from paid to generate a second-generation viral customer, right? And if you go back in time, since in the first quarter we had 10 customers, <laughs> it was really hard for that viral engine to get momentum for about two years. But once we were at about 24 months, viral and word of mouth together, and what I call a mini brand, was consistently the majority of our revenue. But that just can't happen in the beginning, right? The engine isn't, the engine isn't running yet. Got right? it. Yeah, so... What, what so a different things? way I've looked at it, we could talk about technical things, and, but I really think the key to all the stuff in SaaS mm -hmm. is to do whatever it humanly takes to get a million in, in recurring revenue. Get up to 80,000, 50,000, 100,000 a month. And there's, a, you know, there's, there, there's only so many things you can do, but you don't know which one will work. Once you get up to a million in revenue, then everything works. Okay, and then at two million, it all becomes programmatic and logical, right? But you, we're all going to hack it in different ways to a million. If you know how to sell, maybe not by training, but by 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 background, mm -hmm. maybe you'll just you'll just literally grab a bag and, and magically create a million customers out of thin air, right? Mm -hmm. If you're terrible at sales, but you're brilliant at content marketing, right? Mm -hmm. um, maybe you'll you'll build an incredible community, right? Um, like the guys say at Buffer did, built just a brilliant community. I don't know. But uh, in the beginning, you've got to hack it with whatever of the panoply of things you can do to get customers that, that you're best at, right? And for us, for me, it was shower what we had with love. I was good at that because uh, I was just so thankful that we had any customers, <laughs> right? And to be enthusiastic, right? To try and get PR and attention just through sheer passion for what we were doing. And those are the two things I was good at, and I pretty much was terrible at everything else in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the recurring theme, and I've, I've repeated it so many times, is it's it's just doing the things that that don't scale. Every single entrepreneur has yes. done that in the beginning. It's literally um, that's what it's been. And we talked about, but it has to be the ones that you that, that work for you. Yep. The thing is, if it's unnatural, right? I tell you, I was good at um, cold calling to big companies. I could call up, you know, I, I, I cold called into Google and we closed Google that way. Wow. But then when I had to close like some uh, debt consolidation firm in Indiana and make 50 calls a day, I just couldn't do it. I wasn't the 50 call a day guy. Yeah. I mean, I desperately wanted this company, which was about to go under to survive, but I couldn't mm -hmm. do the 50, right? Yeah. Other people can do the 50. So I, I could do the large deals. So, so yeah, this sort of stuff that doesn't scale, but you have to pick the ones that are a good match for you. Because if you go off and do the stuff that doesn't work for you, it's hopeless, Yeah. right? I think everything's really, I mean, you read a ton of articles out there, even your articles as well. Everything at the end of the day, it's it's done, I mean, you do it for yourself based on a case-by-case -case basis. You don't have to necessarily emulate what people are saying. What works for someone else might not necessarily work for you. And yes. I think a lot of people need to understand that um, because just because you see data here that proves something doesn't mean it's going to work for you, right? Yes, that's the parallel of the, of the quantitative blog post. It yep. makes it sound like if you could only increase your funnel conversion from 2.34%, to 2.684%, you'd have a billion dollar company. I mean, anytime I read an article like that, I want to jump off the roof. <laughs> right? Same here. Same here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I think in some of your blog posts you alluded to, you know, getting there's certain certain revenue checkpoints, so to speak, that you get to that you might hit like a snag. So, you know, you get to 1 million or 2 million and maybe at 10 million as well. Can you kind of talk about those um, certain snags people might expect on their way up? Yeah, I think um, there's maybe four. Um, the first one generally could happen around half million to a million in revenue, okay? Because typically, let's step back for a minute, okay? Getting even just 10 people to buy another web service is impossible. Do you seriously need to bring it? Are you seriously desperate to bring another web service into your business? I mean, you know, maybe you'll play on your iPad at night and go to the App Store, or Google Play, and find some cool new game. We have an endless appetite for that, right? Mm -hmm. or, or hopefully, maybe there's actually something new on Netflix I want to watch. So I'll spend time on Netflix. But how many people go home late at night and search for business applications? Okay. There's a couple in the CIO offices of innovation officers. There are a handful. Okay. And we can talk about that. But it's, it's an extremely small number, right? So my point is getting 10 users of your cool photo sharing app is not, doesn't impress me. Getting 10 customers is, is epic, right? You've done the impossible. Okay. And so kudos. It's just not enough revenue, right? And so then the next, so you've done the impossible, right? And then can you build something that's real, 
right? That is actually real. You'll get a first check-in when it's almost real, when you're almost at what I call initial traction, but you're only halfway there. That could be 500,000, 800,000, a million in revenue. You're halfway there. And what will happen is you'll be good at it. <laughs> the founder, see, the founders will be good at it. And maybe, but if you're so small, you don't have enough money, you don't have enough this, and there'll be maybe one kid that's helping you, okay, that sort of works. But the engine isn't quite working, right? The numbers are there, but the en you can't feel the engine, right? And that's a, that's a tough time, right? Um, at least because you don't know how it comes together, but you know it's working for you, but it's not repeatable. It's not truly repeatable, right? The numbers are going, but it's not repeatable. The next kind of phase, and you have to blow through that. You have to just suck it up as pain at the gym. Because what will happen is when you get twice as big, usually like 2 million ARR, assuming your deal size is small, maybe it's a little bigger, maybe a little smaller. Once you're there, the engine, I guarantee you the engine will work, okay? If that's 500 customers, 1,000, 100, depending on your deal size, that's enough that you'll have a real engine that you could, even if you're not ready for a VP of sales, which we could chat about, at least you can bring people into your organization. You can bring a great head of marketing in, a great head of customer success. Two million is not enough to pay the salaries of your full team and hire all the people you want, but it's real, right? Yeah. So you hit the one million and you're seeing it in the numbers and you're seeing it in the logos, but it's not a, an engine. Two million, you finally get the engine, okay? And then you're like, okay, it's working. I can actually spend a dollar and make more than a dollar, okay? I can actually bring Linda or Bob in off the street and they can actually close something, okay? Then the key is, and here's, here's the thing that I learned that I didn't know. You've got to get from two to 10 as fast as possible, okay? Let's just, just do simple math, right? If you, get, if, you get, if you get to two million and you have some growth rate, okay, more than 50%, give it enough time, you'll get to 10 million. <laughs> you will get to scale, right? If it takes you 10 years, you're dead though, right? Not only will competition kill you and market change will kill you, but you'll literally die of exhaustion, okay? If you can do it in one year, which is incredible, you know, borderline impossible, mm -hmm. but if you can do it in a year or even 18 months, no matter how much pain you suffer through, it's all epic, okay? Because once you're at 10 million, you have fat. You have extra people. You can have 60 people, 80 people. You can, you can bring in 10 or 20 sales guys. You can have an extra five or 10 in extra engineers. I mean, who's ever had an extra engineer? <laughs> but once you get to 10 million, you can actually have a whole extra team mm -hmm. working on cool new stuff that you can't have. So you got to get, once you're at two, you got to get to 10, right? Mm -hmm. And the real key is not to burn out, okay? Mm -hmm. Because if it takes you five years to get to 10 million, um, you will be too tired and you will die. I don't care how young you are, right? The other night, LeBron had his greatest game ever, right, yeah. at age 30, 60-something points. Yeah. And the night after that, he said, I've never been so tired, okay? He missed the three-pointer to tie the game, and it was one of his worst performances. Mm -hmm. You can't you can't do that, right? You can't burn out, right? Yeah. And burnout happens at year four. Got it. It happens again and again and again and again and again, right? Huh. So, so my real learning is at the, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how long it takes you to get to one to two million in revenue. It would be great if it happened in a week or six months or a year, but the truth is it doesn't matter. What matters is pushing as fast as you can from two to 10, right? So that you don't die so of a pure exhaustion. Got it. Do you think this rule, I mean, this obviously applies to SaaS, it sounds like, but does, yes. do you think it applies to like regular like service type businesses or traditional businesses? It applies to any business that has reasonable gross margins, okay? okay? Because if you have SaaS-like gross margins that are 80% or higher, what it means is of that 10 million, mm -hmm. you can spend 8 million of it on people, yeah. on help, right? Yeah. If you have a low gross margin business, if it's a services business, it's 40% margin, this math doesn't work out, okay. right? Uh, if it's, it, it's e-commerce where the real margins are like 20%, yep. then you have to multiply by 5, mm -hmm. right? Instead of 10 million, it's got to be 50 million, yep. right? So I'm... It doesn't really matter whether it's true B2B SaaS, but for these sort of one to two to 10 numbers work, they're kind of dependent on the margin contribution mm -hmm. that you get out of, you know, really only needing six servers to run a $10 million business. Right. Got it. And so one of the big things that I've always been wondering is you, you guys have been, or you have been really on top of like tracking all the numbers. You had all these cool graphs and things like that. So, uh, you know, when I was at a startup as well, uh, we we weren't super good at tracking everything. So I guess how did you guys track things when you first started? Maybe the first two years or so. Um, well, um, at the end of the day, um, there's only two metrics that matter, right? Or two and a half: revenue, growth, and revenue, revenue, growth, and revenue, and how much cash I'm bleeding. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
And all these wonderful metrics that, that I talk about are even worse are ad nauseum, customer lifetime value, customer acquisition cost, mm -hmm. revenue per lead. All, I mean, they're all great, right? Mm -hmm. But if your revenue is growing quickly and you're not losing more money than you can, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So, so those are the revenues we track. But then I, you know, then you want to understand the science, right? Because the real key is you go through, there's, there's, the one most important phase you go through, and maybe it happens when you hit initial traction, that two million number, maybe it's earlier or later, is once you actually understand how your business works, okay? And then what ends up happening is you have a core set of unit economics that are positive, okay? My core customer, I spend $1 and I get two bucks out, okay? And that yields X percent of growth. Now, maybe you don't like that percent of growth. Maybe $1 to get $2 out yields 50% annual growth, okay? Mm -hmm. Then your job as a founder is to add that extra incremental customer, right? That maybe is a dollar to get a dollar, or maybe even a dollar to get 20 cents. As long as your core unit economics work, that's okay, right? Um, so anyhow, I think that we can talk about all these different numbers and pipeline numbers and things. I think mm -hmm. the real th numbers that matter are you know, your growth rate, your burn rate, and then there's that core unit economics, the mm -hmm. core customer that probably costs almost nothing to get. You get it through word of mouth, right, or virality, right, or your brand. Is that positive? If that's positive and you're growing 100%, you have magic. Got it. Right? Okay. You look at, like, why is Box spending hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. a year on sales and marketing? Does that look stupid? Like, it may look stupid, but you know what they're doing? Box is, you know, we'll see their exact numbers when they go public, but here's what they're doing. They have kind of an organic, they're at 100, more than 100 million in mm -hmm. revenue. And they have a, what I'll call an organic growth rate. I don't mean literally it's no work, but it's just the engine's working, right? And let's say that's 50% for them now, 60%. They want to do 80. Yep. <laughs> so they will spend 100 million extra to go from 60 to 80 because mm -hmm. the multiples justify it. But it yep. doesn't mean that even if the unit economics are awful going from 60 to 80, that core 60% growth has good unit economics there. I guarantee it. Got it. That totally makes sense. Right. Uh, yeah, and it's kind of scary <laughs> how they're going head to head with Dropbox too. Um, so the you actually had a post on a, the ten million um, R mark, and R means um, annual recurring revenue for people yeah. that don't get it. Um, or, or ARR. Is, yeah, is, 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 ARR. But yes, absolutely. Yeah. So why you have a you have a train that's going up in that blog yes. post? Um, can you explain why ten million is so special? Yes. What I learned, I didn't. If I wish I'd known this when I was an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, what I learned is everything gets easier at ten. Everything. Okay. Mm -hmm. By the time you get to 10, at least in your industry, your little segment that you sell in, right? Um, everyone's going to kind of heard of you. Okay. Because just think about the math for a minute. Let's say you get to 10 million, right? Um, and your average customer is $1,000, $10,000 a year. How many customers do you have? Right? 1,000, 10,000 customers. And it's taken you a couple years to get there, right? And they've heard of you, and they've taken you to their new job, and they've told your friends, and all of this, and you, you've been heard of, right? Mm -hmm. And so the, the leads just come in, right? Um, maybe not enough, right? But it's all there. So you have a brand, right? And, and, and let's not discount the value of a brand. A brand is epic, right? A brand is, a brand is why we buy a BMW. A brand is why we buy an Apple product mm -hmm. that we've never even tested. Brands matter. Brands are a proxy for trust, right? So, if, so you can get a mini brand much earlier than that, where you know, some people in the industry in tech or in like, you know, one yeah. segment. But by 10 million in run rate, in your, in your best niche, everyone's heard of you, okay? So at least you're going to get into every deal. You may not win every deal. Uh -huh. <laughs> you may lose that deal to your scrappier, smaller competitor or your stronger. But you'll be, at least you, you'll have a seat at, every, at most deals, okay? So that's mm -hmm. one. So getting into every deal is key, right? Two, here's the thing. 10 million is fat. Okay, it's enough fat that you can hire. Let's say you're you're doing ten million, you're growing eighty percent. Okay, that means you're going to add eight million in incremental revenue next year. Okay, let's assume you have a high margin. That means I can spend six million dollars on people. How many engineers can you hire for six million dollars? A ton. Six million dollars. That's why everyone that has something in one or another accelerates once they hit ten million. Could just think you can do anything. Mm -hmm. With six extra million dollars, right? Mm -hmm. So you have the brand, you have the extra money, right? At ten million, you have so many customers that the question is, how quickly do you grow? But you're out of that period where you you can't be killed, right? Google can't kill you, mm -hmm. right? 
Adobe can't kill you. You know, whoever Salesforce can't kill you, right? Mm -hmm. Salesforce maybe can kill you when you're doing a million if they want to like just throttle the space. Mm -hmm. But at ten million, you are unkillable. Okay. Right? You control your fate. I like it. Cool. So um, you, there's a lot of talk. I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of your blog posts touch upon uh, customer success. Can you kind of explain why all the money is in customer success? Yes, and this takes a while to figure out, right? Um, so you get going, right? In your first year, how many customers have you had for more than a year? Well, <laughs> zero, right? And then even as you get into like the first half of your second year, right? The, the, you know, months 12 through 18, think about going back a year in time. Your very first six months, how many customers did you get? Like barely none, mm -hmm. right? So, um, so it, it takes people about two years to even understand what the heck's the point of investing in customer success, right? Because obviously, on, on the surface, it seems like a pointless waste of money in your first year, which it isn't. We'll talk about, right? And even by the end of the second, it takes you to the end of the second year to have enough customers that you could really see a quantitative impact from customer success, right? But what I learned, and then we can, we can take it back a level, what I learned about two years in, okay, is was just what I said before, is that we got 80% of our growth, okay, um, from our existing customers. Okay, and that constitutes both viral and word of mouth and the brand. Okay, but also importantly, um, upsells, upgrades, buying more from you. Okay, and here's the secret sauce there. If your customer loves you, they will buy more from you electively. If your customer hates you but stop forced to use your product anyway, right, um, like, like United Airlines, <laughs> right, then I will still fly United if it's the only reasonable way for me to get to New York. But I will never electively fly United. I will always electively fly JetBlue or Virgin, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if you build this, 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 this attitudinal loyalty, okay, where your customers love you, you will grow another 20% right there because they'll buy more from you, okay? And they will churn out at a much lower rate, okay? And we did this math, and I really feel like once I got my real VP of sales and got an engine going, I feel like we had like the best sales team in SaaS in terms of efficiency, right? Having said all of that with the best team, once we hit four or five million in run rate, we could have still grown literally 80% a year without any traditional sales just by making our customers happy, mm -hmm. right? We still needed someone to get around. We still needed the sales team. But what I mean is the sales team could have focused just on internally generated new revenue and still grown 80%, right? Mm -hmm. That's the magic aha, right? Yep. And so what you're seeing today is folks like me learned it. What you're seeing today, especially for companies that have enough funding, but even if you don't, you're seeing them bring on a cu customer success or customer happiness, if you want to be, you know, very uh, au officers, like literally with the first 10 customers, mm -hmm. right? I was the customer success, had a VP of customer success in the beginning, and then we had an intern who turned out to be great. Um, but you got to just shower with them with love for the first day. Mm -hmm. And then in year three, here's the tough part, it pays off in year three because the math we talked about, right? So you yeah. got to make that investment now in this recurring revenue so that all that love and all that word of mouth and virality and upgrades and upsells and all the stuff that I call second order revenue, right? Mm -hmm. Because it comes out of it. Second order revenue are seeds you plant that you harvest in year three, right? Mm -hmm. This is why you look at all these SaaS companies and it, like they've been around for a long time, like seven or eight years, then you'll turn around, but then it just gets epic, right? Yep. Once these seeds, once, once they can really harvest. So when you say harvest, are you saying they're actually upselling? Is that what you're saying? Upsell, up, you know, and, and they'll just want to buy more from you if they love you. Because mm -hmm. the thing is, if you, if you make it three or four years, your product will get better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. And so one way or another, whether it's them buying more licenses across the company, right? Mm -hmm. Or them buying more, more, you know, more modules or additions or whatever. Mm -hmm. Basically, what happens is outside of the very, the very small bottom of the market, the VSB, mm -hmm. every great running SaaS company has negative churn. Yep. Negative churn. And the typical, the number that we, I set for our team and that we hit was 120 percent. Wow. Organic growth. So every year, if if I ended the year with a four million base, okay. My customer success team was not just to keep that four million, but to grow that twenty percent in the next year. They had to turn that four million into four point eight the next year, inclusive of churn, mm -hmm. including churn. Wow! Right, and the and all the good teams they can all achieve that. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's just a very narrow definition. That's not new leads. That's not virality. That's just literally just taking the customers that love me and them wanting to buy 
you know, 30% more on a gross basis, 20% on a net basis. It'll happen to, it'll happen to anyone yep. if you do it right. But it takes, but it takes time. Got it. Right? Because they got to try the product. They got to like the product. They got to deploy the product. They got to get comfortable with the product. Then they got to get more users on the product. And then they got to get ready to buy more. And yeah. the fastest that really can happen is like 10 to 12 months. If there's, I mean, if there's any testament to um, what Jason's saying here, like we, I have a service-based business and we started implementing, you know, client success managers or customer success, whatever you call it. It's starting to work. We're starting to get really feed, really good feedback from it. But again, like Jason says, it, it takes time. So I think it does apply to almost every single business. It's just a no-brainer, right? I think what most uh, sort of B2B entrepreneurs are better at today than we were when we started, the best ones is they're more patient. Mm-hmm. We were not patient. Okay, we wanted to achieve, we, we gave ourselves sort of, and this was in 2006 when the markets were 100th the size, but we gave ourselves about 10 months to get to 2 million. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> we weren't patient, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we didn't even know, honestly, I had to learn how to be patient, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think most entrepreneurs aren't. <laughs> they're not patient, right? Um, but, but to some extent, we were impatient in the wrong ways. And so the, today, there, there are more examples to learn from, right? And so customer success is all about patience because if you're only giving yourself 10 months to make it or 12 months to get to, to $3 million in revenue, there's no point in investing in customer success because yeah. it, won't, it can't impact you, right? Yeah. But, but the, smart, the great entrepreneurs today are thinking in 7 to 10 years in mm-hmm. the first 12 months. Which is good. The long game is good. Um, do you, so question for the audience. I think this would help them. Do, do client success or customer success people get commissions for the upsells? Yeah, you know it's yes, they should, right? It, but it's a comp, it's a everything about um, how, how you structure the organization in terms of reporting, how you compensate customer success. Mm-hmm. It's not as clear cut as it is with sales, right? In fact, you know, uh, I, I spoke at at, uh, at Dreamforce with the uh, with the CEO of Gainsight, which is a customer success software company, and he was. VP of customer success at Marketo, long time experience in the industry, and he did like twelve different org charts of how you structure. A customer success team. Does your head of customer success report to the CEO or the head of sales or the head of this or the marketer? It's just there's no perfect answer, unfortunately, right? Um, because here, let's step back for a minute. Let's talk about the challenge and let's talk about the solution, right? The challenge is you have to decide what behavior do you want to incent, okay? There's one thing that I knew I did not want in my company. I did not want used car salesmen in customer success. Mm-hmm. I did, and there are a lot of these guys, especially old school guys. Sometimes they're called account managers or whatever. Yep. These are guys the customer never heard of. And on day 362, before the contract's up for renewal, all of a sudden, Marvin's there. <laughs> Marvin! You know, hi, Lisa, it's Marvin. I know we've never met, um, but uh, your usage it violates our terms of service, and you're not using our crappy other product you ever heard of. And I'd like you to buy another $10,000 of my product this year, right? <laughs> like, I just felt like even though there are examples of that working, I could not work in that company and that it would not create this sort of attitudinal loyalty, right? Mm-hmm. So I knew I didn't want that. And a lot of companies do that. They do the hard sell on day 360, okay? Mm-hmm. More power to them. Um, but I, I don't think it's the, the number one approach. Okay. So, but if you have those dudes, what do you do? They're just sales people on your existing base and you just give them a regular commission, mm-hmm. right? Very high. The majority of their revenue is going to come from commission, right or half, right? But that that doesn't build the kind of relationships we're talking about, right? Um, so you know the kind of ratio that I came up with was as follows: is uh, an eighty twenty formula. So eighty percent base salary, twenty percent bonus target, mm-hmm. and that was tied to that hundred twenty percent number. Okay, and we segmented it by group. Okay. So generally speaking, if you took, let's say you're a, a, a customer success manager and you manage $2 million in revenue, your job is to get it to 2.4. I don't care how you get it done. Mm-hmm. But if you don't build good relationships with your customers, they will churn and you'll totally screw it up. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and if you sell too hard, it won't work either, right? Um, and it's not so much commission, right, that you're incented to do nothing about that, right? Mm-hmm. So, so net-net, what I chose was a total target for your whole base, which is what most people end up doing, mm-hmm. right? And had the commission be material, you know, mm-hmm. 20%, right? But not salesy. Yep. That's what, I, it, it, it seems to work, it seems to be what most people do. Um, and then the, the, you know, to get into the nitty gritty, then the, then the question is, okay, well what if, but what if they do something that's material, right? What if they don't just grow their base 10 or 20%, right? Mm-hmm. 
but they had a million dollars in revenue, right? Mm -hmm. um, turns out, I think what the right answer is this, this is what a lot of companies do, is they basically say, if a deal is up to, a, if an upgrade is up to a certain size, say 20% of the initial deal, let's, let's say it's a $10,000 a year customer, if they buy up to 20% more, up to 2,000, then customer success just handles it. No salesperson's involved. Wow. And there's no direct, there's no direct commission. Okay? Mm -hmm. And as soon as it's above a number, it could be 100% of the deal, right? It could be 20, it could be whatever. Then customer success brings in sales whether they want to or not. And they may not want to because they, they have the relationship, right? But they have to, yep. right? And so later on, when you get more sophisticated, I really like this idea of drawing this bright line between below a de minimis threshold, you know, it stays with customer success, no discounts, no games. It's just list prices because it's not that much money, mm -hmm. right? And I'll just help you, George. Right, um, and no, none of that sales guy has to come back. Yeah. <laughs> but when it's above a number and you actually need sales expertise, sales has to be involved. Yeah, got it. Makes sense. And I think you had in one post um, you talked about a certain percentage of revenues going into customer success. I guess what percentage would that be? And I, I think you said if it, when does this happen? Like three years in? When, when does this happen? You mean how much should you spend on it? Is that the yes, question? Yes, that is the question. You know, um, you. It's gonna it's gonna depend, right? But but um but roughly speaking, you're gonna want to spend ten to fifteen percent of your revenue protecting that revenue. Okay. Right. Um, and you can kind of back into that number in a sense that there is a there's a a slightly misleading but useful industry metric of like one customer success manager, one human being can manage about two million in revenue. Okay. Okay. And just think about it. Let's say you have a, a million dollar customer, which is a big deal. Yep. Like I just want one or two people. I want that guy or gal only just doing that customer and one other. Yeah. Right. Um, let's say your customers are at a twenty thousand dollar price point. Right. Maybe this person could handle a hundred customers total. Right. That means they can they can be proactive with all of them. They can visit most of them if they're mm -hmm. local. Right. Anyhow, if you think about it, two million is kind of right. Right. Mm -hmm. Except. That's that's you don't you want to do it in advance, not in arrears. You don't want to get past two million because then the guys the person's too busy, right? So really, it's probably more like a million to a million and a half for customer success manager. Okay, got it. So that you you know it's, it's in advance, not arrears, right? So let's imagine it's a million and a half or a million two, right? Take the fully burdened cost of that person, right? Let's say the fully burdened cost is a hundred thousand dollars with benefits and and uh, and 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 cool MacBook Air and all that. Let's say it's hundred thousand in rent, and uh, maybe it's more. It's more, right? Yep. That alone is going to be close to ten percent of the business that they're protecting, mm -hmm. right? And then you got to give them money, and you got to give them collateral and time and all this. So it's going to be fifteen percent. Fifteen percent, got it. So if you kind of budget that in, you know, since this is my most, this is my highest margin customer, this is all the source of my second order revenue. Let's spend mm -hmm. at least fifteen percent, making sure we don't lose it, right? And you'll see that many older school companies um, and many people that aren't are thoughtful about this spend far less, like 5%. Yeah. And that's the worst investment you're ever going to make. Got it. 15%, guys. <laughs> cool. So, um, changing and, maybe, and maybe a lot more in the early days if you're well-funded. Maybe yep. if you're well-funded in the beginning, it's the single best investment you can make. Can you define well-funded for the audience? Well, I'll give you companies that are raising lots of money, like eight or ten million dollars early, okay, if you're able to do that somehow, I would hire four customer success managers the next day. Shower your customers with love. Even at a million in revenue. Let's say you're, I, we just talked about this metric of two million per customer success, but really more, probably more like a million and a half mm -hmm. so that you have them in advance on arrears. Yep. But if I were at just a million in revenue, that math says you need one person, right? Yep. <laughs> if I had eight million in the bank, I would hire four. Okay. So that they just get those first customers, just all their needs are met, mm -hmm. no matter what, right? And if you look at these well-funded companies, like they may not have, feel, they may have a crazy number of salespeople, and maybe too little, too few. They may not know what they're doing, mm -hmm. but today they've got four customer success managers. Wow. Okay. Right. Yep. And that, I think a lot of people don't realize that, but here, here you go. Um, cool. So let's let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about something that um, a lot of people ask. I think you get asked this question a lot. So. When should you get a VP of sales and how do you get a good one? Yes. Um, so the, the first one's easier to answer than the second, although they're both more nuanced than almost any other position you're going to hire. Okay? Um, uh, you should hire a great VP of engineering before you start coding. Mm 
if you can. (laughs) You should hire a great VP of marketing as soon as you can afford to get one. Even why not hire one at $10,000 a month in revenue, right? I hired my VP of marketing who's insanely great. Now she's VP of marketing in Sightly when we were doing $20,000 a month. And and I, I didn't lose a dollar, right? You can't go wrong, right? The VP of sales can go wrong, okay? Forget about the fact this is the most expensive hire on paper you're ever going to make. You bring this person in before you have a repeatable process, it never works. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, it never works. And so we can talk, talk about why. Um, but the bottom line is until you have, generally speaking, until you have at least two reps that are hitting a quota, that you have an engine going, if you bring in a VP of sales, it will be a train wreck nine times out of ten. Right? So if you back into that, when we talked about our stages before, mm-hmm. if you bring in a VP of sales before even one to two million in recurring revenue, uh, if it's a real VP of sales, mm-hmm. you have a 90% failure rate. Okay? So, <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> you kind of have two options. Uh, if, you, if you have the skills, you get two to three reps or whatever it is up to that level, get them great, get them going, and then bring in the right person, right? That's the right way to do it, mm-hmm. right? And that's, that's what you should do. That's the right answer. Having said that, what if you lack the skills? What if you literally are, do not, no matter how much you'd like, none of the founders, and this is, this is sad, but it does happen, none of the founding team has the skill to manage two to three folks selling, right? And to do that, to step back, you have to sell first because mm-hmm. if you can't close them, I closed all of our first 100 customers. Yeah. If you can't do it yourself, how are you going to teach a 24-year-old kid how to do it? You can't. It's just, you can't. Mm-hmm. So you've got to close them. And then you got to teach two people how to close, and you're not classically trained in sales, so there's a huge learning curve for you. Mm-hmm. So you've got to get that team of three, which is you plus two, mm-hmm. right? You have to do that. But what if you can't, right? Then you're in this hyper-risky phase of hiring a VP of sales way too early, and this is the person I call the evangelist, okay? And they're not really a VP of sales. Mm-hmm. There's someone with experience, okay? Usually charismatic and very smart. They can talk the game. They can do what you should be doing as a founder but lack the skills to do, okay? So hire that person as your second best uh, thing. But just bear in mind that evangelist, that super charismatic person that you're somehow able to attract at $10,000, that person will never scale to be the guy that manages 20 reps, zero out of 100, right? You may have to transition that person to a VP of biz dev role, right? Or It doesn't mean you got to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just means... That magical guy that can come in with, with no reps under them and nothing and do this magical stuff is not the same person that can hire your first 10 reps successfully. Zero percent correlation. Mm-hmm. So just bear that in mind, right? That's more of the – I think you, you alluded to this. This is the individual contributor that's really good but not so much. Yeah, and they, their, they, their last title at the job may have been VP of sales. Yeah. But usually it's evangelist when you, when you really pick through it. So how many of those eight guys that you managed did you hire? Well, I didn't really hire them. I inherited it, right? What do you yeah. mean by VP of sales? Well, it's really more sales operation and sales strategy. And I, I really more worked with the eight reps. Yeah. Aha. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and that, that great VP of sales that hired eight or 10 or 20 reps and built a really efficient engine, that person's not going to come into your $10,000 a month company from scratch. That's, that's not what they're good at. And they don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Right? Sometimes. But, but they'll come into the $10,000 a month run rate company. When they have 10 million users. Yep. That makes sense. <laughs> right? They'll come in like my, my VP sales did as the first sales manager at LinkedIn when it was all self-service business. Like there was no real sales, but there were a lot of users. Yep. <laughs> right? Cool. And they come in and figure it out. Um, they figure it out. But at least there's the base. No great VP of sales is going to come in with no base. Yep. Right? Nothing to work with. Because the, what the great VP of sales do is, is they hire and they increase the revenue per lead. Mm-hmm. They don't figure out whether you have market product fit, right? That's not what they do. That's yeah. what you do. <laughs> yeah. Same thing with hiring a marketer too. You got you got to have product market fit. Or, you do. Yeah. You do. But the point is, you hire this VP of sales too early. Mm-hmm. They're going to flame out. Yeah. You hire the VP of marketing, even at as long as you have a hundred customers, mm-hmm. as long as you have time and money, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Right. As long as there's something there to work with, raw materials. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, cool. So in terms of. Um, do you got? Do you have any process for setting a quota for people? Like, how does how does it work? How do you set quotas for sales teams? I'll just put it that way. Um, yeah. So let's step back. There are certain industry norms that are very useful to reference, right? Um, 
the industry, and, and there's wide bands, right? But the rough industry norms later, when you're at scale, when you're past 10 million in revenue, okay? They all, everything kind of, past 10 million, everything's kind of the same at a given ACV, at a given deal size, okay? Maybe even past three or four million, everything's the same. At a, companies that sell $20,000 a year products past three to four million, they all have the same type of sales structures, same type of organizations. Companies that are 100,000 are the same. And companies that are sort of low-end or self-service, they all, once it's three to four or five, they all end up looking the same. Okay. Mm -hmm. So later, you get bracketed kind of into the following quotas. The, the, the big enterprise guys get million-dollar quotas. Right? Mm -hmm. Maybe later it's two million. But you know, one to two million is a huge variance, but you know, yep. a million, right? What, what I call, and some folks call like run rate reps that sell four, five, six, $8,000 a year deals end up with quotas sort of in the four to $500,000 range, mm -hmm. right? And typically guys that sell the small, very small businesses, right, end up with quotas that are sort of in the two to $300,000 range, okay? So that's where you're going to end up, right? And you're going to end up then paying those guys a percentage of those numbers back as on-target earnings, commission plus base, mm -hmm. right? So that's where you're going to end up. The question is how do you get there? Right, um, and so what I what you're gonna kind of end up with is in the very beginning, you have to pay people a living wage. Right? What's the if you bring your first two reps in and they can't eat and they do a good job, like what's the point? Right? Yep. So what I did in that in the beginning with our first two reps in the beginning when we were getting going is all I wanted in the first ninety days was for them just to cover their costs. That was their quota. Mm -hmm. Right, so your initial quota is a hundred grand, basically, yep. right? And then it scales up to those numbers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Three hundred thousand or whatever it is, right? But it has to. You want your reps, if they're doing a good job, you want they have to be successful. They have to feel successful. So you have to engineer quotas and targets that, if they're good, they can hit and, and exceed, right? And if they don't, I mean, I know people that have had success with impossible goals in the beginning, mm -hmm. but I find that just totally demoralizing. Got right? it. Or let me put it differently. I wrote a post like your best rep. You want him driving an M6 convertible. Yep. Right. Like Not it. like in, by you know in his first year. Right. Mm -hmm. You know we had a we had a rep that was 24 and his you know once he was unleashed from an SDR into an individual rep, you know in six months he had the Mercedes convertible, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then around month 14 it was the the new M6 convertible. That's what you want. Nice. Right. That means your comp plan's working. If everyone has an M6 convertible, you have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. But if after 18 months, no one has an M6 convertible, right? And they're all saying it's not about the money, it's about the journey, you're yeah. dead. <laughs> I like it. Um, sales is about money, right? Yeah. Um, sales in a startup is about making money and enjoying making money, mm -hmm. right? Sales in a big company is just about money, right? Yeah. In a startup, it's making a lot of, having a chance to make a lot of money and not having a jerk box and having fun doing it, right? Being yeah. part of a great team. Yep. Right. If you go into SaaS startups, any startup that are that are like ten million and above and growing well, and you meet with the team, you'll see just this incredible energy. It's just it's just wonderful, and it builds on itself. Yep. I actually had a a, a friend who did sales in the past. He's like, you know, if you're going to hire salespeople, they need to have really expensive tastes. So when you interview them, you should yeah. ask them what their tastes are, or you know, what what kind of car they want to drive. Right. Yes. I think yes. you also said that too. Yes. I like the ones with expensive tastes. Mm -hmm. The one I really don't like. Is the guy that drives a six-year-old Mercedes E63? <laughs> okay, that yeah. meant six years ago he thought he could drive an AMG Mercedes. Yeah, but now it's got a lot of dance, and the, you know there's a lot of those big gulp cups in the back and all that. That guy <laughs> just run from that guy. Got it. Cool. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, so actually, backtracking a little bit, you said in the first ninety days they should be able to cover their costs. So you said a hundred grand. Yeah. Yeah. So will that be net or gross? Well, I mean, you know. Uh, you know, later it should be it should be, you know, inclusive of all costs, mm -hmm. right? In the beginning, when you're small, when you're a startup, just just try to make the math work. Okay. Define it in the most just to make 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 her successful, right? Yeah. So don't play any games. Like literally, I mean, if you don't have an engine, say all I want you to do in the first ninety days, right, is close whatever ten thousand dollars of new bookings, right? Uh -huh. Make it easy, and then make it hard, okay. right? Later, when you have two successful people. You know, you'll have a you'll have an intuition there, right? Mm -hmm. But um, set the you know set, make the bar achievable for that first person in the first you know ninety days. Got it. A few more questions here. I think like uh, three more. So, 
Um, and this is funny. You actually alluded to paying them, uh, making sure you pay them a base and then giving mostly a base and then a commission. And this is something Aaron Ross said, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, so, yeah, I mean, actually, we'll just talk about it right now, actually. So, you know, Aaron Ross, former director of um, sales at Salesforce. I know you are working on a book with him right now. Right? Aaron and each other well. Yep. Can you, can you talk about uh, what you guys are working on? Well, it's you know, it's Aaron, it's Aaron's Aaron's Mr. Predictable Revenue, but it's sort of the sequel to what he's done in Predictable Revenue. Got it. So it should be good, right? Yeah. It's kind of tying to the themes that I have, which in some ways are broader themes about referring revenue, right? To tying to sort of his next generation thesis and views, and taking everything that he's learned very successfully, right, mm-hmm. and taking it to the to the next level on the sales side. Got it. So to the audience, Predictable Revenue, that's a must-read sales book if you're building an organization, and I think this, this sequel is definitely a must-read also, uh, also um, Jason's blog as well. So what is, um, what's one must-read book you recommend to entrepreneurs? Oh, goodness. Uh, now, now you, you gave me the, the tough question of the, uh, of the, of the hour, right? Um, uh, I, I don't know. I tell you why. I, 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 I tell you why in all honesty and Aaron is great. He's a perfect example, right? Um, I, I, I should know that answer. I, I struggled as an entrepreneur when I was building my SaaS company, you know, getting to something, you know, in those years from 06 to 09, I couldn't find the book, right? Mm-hmm. So I tried to produce the content on Coron Saster to, to provide, provide my guide, right? Yeah. And I wish I knew, I wish I knew the perfect source, but I definitely would include Aaron in that, in that top five elite group, right? I wish I had the other four and, you know, asked me in a year. Um, mm-hmm. I just tried to contribute some of that content back because I couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish I had it because, because, uh, you know, I, I would have read it. There's a lot of good, company building stuff, right? And, uh, you know, um, but, uh, but I don't, there's only so many Bibles on how to scale recurring revenue. I think, you know, I, I think the really interesting thing Tell is, me. No, I, I agree with that because it's really hard. I mean, before I read Aaron's book and before I read your, your stuff, there's really little information on how to build a sales organization. And a lot of people are just like, oh, we don't need sales. And then there's the startups that are just like, oh, we don't need marketing. We're just going to let yes. it grow organically. It totally doesn't work like that for the most part. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, there's what, a lot of sales management stuff, which is focused on once you're after post scale yep. management theory, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're scaling something, I really don't need to hear a lot of sales management theory when I'm at a hundred million or, right. or 1 billion from the SVP of sales operations at SAP. It just doesn't help. Me. Yeah, totally makes sense. Um, so in terms of, um, what's the productivity hack that you use? Uh, so my top productivity hack, and I wrote about it, was for me, on the revenue side at least, was um, one that uh, people thought was nutty, but now more people have adopted it, which was creating a sales commission plan that totally aligned interest with me and the company's economy. Mm-hmm. Okay? And what I did was, what I learned was, um, and you can find the exact plan at sasser.com, mm-hmm. What I learned is that when I did this analysis, and I wish there was the perfect book back then, but what I learned is at the end of the day, most sales comp plans basically target 20 to 25% of a deal, up to 30 sometimes if it's at the very bottom market, S&B, 20 to 30%, really 20 to 25, goes back out as bonuses and commissions. Okay, So I knew that was kind of the way the, the world had worked out over time, and there's a natural organic pattern. And then I knew this other thing that happened. When I had my first VP of sales who almost ran the company to the ground, which was that we hemorrhaged cash. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he came in, took the two reps I had in me, which were great, um, and then hired 10 people. And within 120 days, our productivity had fallen 50%, and we were, about, we were running into the ground. Wow. Okay? And it wasn't just that. That was the – like I didn't know what to make of it and figure out, right? But what I saw something which I really hated happening, which was the, when he had brought in a traditional sales comp plan from Salesforce – what I saw is when you combine that with B minus reps, I had a bunch of people coming to the office selling almost nothing and living off their base. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they weren't. So I, the one thing I knew is I didn't want anybody to live off their base. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just wanted to. On the other hand, I wanted the folks that killed it to be able to make an insane amount of money. Mm-hmm. The other thing I hated from the from the from the big company sales comp plan was what were decelerators. The idea that if you do too well. I, every year I'm going to raise your quota, dude, because you did so well. Like, yeah. I get it, but I didn't like that. I said, listen, if you make me, if you make the company half a million this year and a million next year, I want to pay you twice as much next year if I can. I like it. Right? I hated the idea of raising the bar on people that were killing it, right? Mm-hmm. 
Although I get, I get why you have to do it in a large organization, right? So I said, okay, how can I make, have no caps, no decelerators, no game, no stupidity, and also not have the losers if, that I'm stuck with, like, living off their base salary, right? Because great folks will leave for their base, but the losers will, if they can make 80K a year, it's not like they can get another great job. Yeah. So they'll quietly sit in their, yeah. their cube or at their desk and yeah. just try and close anything. So anyhow... That's, that's what I tried to accomplish. And so the plan that I came up with was basically this. You pay back your base before you make a dollar in commission. You're fully burden cost, right? So if your base is 60K annual, you've got to basically, and let's say that's 5K a month, right? You've got to bring in six or seven before you don't make any money on that, on that, you know, that, that, those bookings, right? But then you take a big chunk of what's beyond that. So instead of taking 10% or 5% of what's beyond that, I wanted to figure out what's the mathematical maximum that I could give them, right? And for us, it was like 22% mm-hmm. or something like that, right? Huge. And so that meant, you know, if you made, if you, that meant you made, you bring in a million dollars in bookings, 20, I know I make 220,000, or for, for some folks, it was 25%. They'd make a quarter million dollars, right? Mm-hmm. I do two million, that's half million, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the folks that killed it made a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. But here's what I knew as a founder CEO if he brings in two million, is there any way I can lose money in my company? impossible. I know I didn't even have to worry anymore about and so sales here's the profound thing. Sales went from a cost center to a profit center. And I didn't even need to look at anything. I didn't need to see the dumb reports or log into sales. It didn't matter because I knew that those sales people were driving revenue per lead up and so that's all I cared about was revenue per lead and I knew that it was accretive. Mm-hmm. I knew that for every dollar that they brought in I was giving them less than a dollar no matter what. And all my worries went out the door. I like it. I'm gonna have right. to reread that. Yeah, yeah, totally. I didn't care, right? Yeah, because I knew every incremental dollar they made more, and as as a, as this founder and an equity holder, I made more because it adds more value to the company, mm-hmm. right? It's so go, like go it. get your M6 convertible. Yeah, dude, it's totally cool. Enjoy this is your be S5. The second book, right? Yeah, well, it's, we're we're gonna have. I think I think Aaron's gonna have it in there, right? Go have right. your S5, right? I you know, it. when you're a billion, when you're in a billion in revenue, this doesn't work, right? Yeah. It doesn't work for Adobe, but but. You're a fool if you bring in this Salesforce-type comp plan. And Salesforce may have improved it since then. No, no, you know, I love Salesforce. But yeah. bringing that into your $2 million run rate company is a recipe for disaster. Got it. So, Jason, um, thanks so much for doing this. A lot of insights yeah. here. I recommend people watch this, rewatch this, and then go to Jason's blog, read everything, repredictable revenue twice, and you will be a sales master. Um, so, Jason, thanks so much for doing this. We hope to have you on the show again sometime soon. Yeah, this was great. Perfect stuff. Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Jason.